I'm Sharon Betters, and you are listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Our vision is to offer help and hope, especially to those who are hurting. And our topic today is one that I'm not sure gets enough attention, and it's on betrayal and rejection, conflict, and how do we respond to those very major events in our lives when we're hurt. And we're going to be focusing on ministry conflict. But even if your experience is not because of ministry, there is going to be so much in this conversation that would encourage and help you as well. My guest today is Karen Grant, and Karen is a pastor's wife. And I love that I can say she loves being a pastor's wife, even though our topic is conflict and conflict in ministry, that she still loves being a pastor's wife. Her husband is George. And he is the pastor at Parish Presbyterian Church. They have had quite a ministry over the years. They have three grown children and six amazing grandsons. Karen has graduated from Covenant Seminary. And I love that she served on her denomination's Multicultural Church Planting and Mercy Committee. Such an important work. She and her husband co-founded Franklin Classical School in Franklin, Tennessee, where she continues to serve on the Board of Trustees. And she loves all kinds of exciting things. But I think one of the best things right now we can say is that she and George have survived COVID in this pandemic. It hit them and they beat it. So Karen, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you, Sharon. It's, It's an honor to be with you and spend a little time with you this morning. Well, Karen, you and I have talked about what it means to, well, survive and thrive in the middle of conflict. I know that for me, we lost our son, Mark, when he was 16 years old. And the people who were, that comforted me deeply were those ahead of me in the journey who had lost a child. It just gave credibility to what they were saying to me. And so I think it's important for our listeners to know that you're not speaking from an academic platform, but from personal experience. So why don't you give us a general idea of the context of conflict that you and George have experienced? I think the one that comes to mind the most is a season where there was a staff member who needed to be really in a different job. Time was spent attempting to help him find that place. He resisted the change. It was not a pretty ending. And what we didn't realize was he'd spent the year salting (laughs) conversations with other people. And so in the end, he was asked to leave. And there was a lot of anger against George and I, because they had heard things that really didn't give the whole story. You know, there had been other things, other certainly more church conflict. And we've been married 45 years and in ministry, most of those in public ministry, most of those. So there's been more, but that would be the one that I'm thinking of today. Well, that's probably a common conflict in ministry. And I think that in, we're, we're talking kind of generically, whether it is in a church setting or in a, a ministry setting, an organization that is full-time ministry setting. So it can be both. And I think also people in the church could be hurt by things that happen in the church where they don't know the whole story. And I, that for us, when we were in the middle of this kind of conflict, One of the hardest things was that we couldn't say, this is the other side. We had to, we had to make a choice. Um, What about you and George? I mean, there were things that said you, that weren't the total truth. How did you handle that? 
you know, you have to choose. You just have to make a choice. Am I going to go in and try to set everything straight, set the record straight? Tell me, what do I do? Just find people in church and line them up and say, let me tell you the whole story. Let me tell you what you don't know. No, of course not. And so the first thing I just kind of came up with a pattern of, of what I needed to do. And I, and I learned this pattern. The, the first thing I needed to do was to repent myself, do some self-examination. What part did I play in this? And look, I'm not co-pastor with my husband, but you know, I have influence with my husband that I, that I try to use wisely or you know, refrain from overdoing. <laughs> So I looked to my own part and looked where I needed to repent. Where have I gossiped? Where have I, when have I assumed the worst motives from someone else? When have I twisted other people's words so that I look better? I look like the hero in this situation, this ugly situation. And so I had to pray through that. And that gave me a realization that the situation was a little more balanced it wasn't just, you know, the bad guy against the good guys. <laughs> so that was the first thing to do. And then if I could, if I came up with anyone that I'd done that with, I needed to contact them and ask their forgiveness and repent before them. That helped. And then I feel like in answer to your specific question, the details needed to stop with me, uh, with my husband too, but I'm, I'm only speaking for myself this morning. The details needed to stop with me. There's, I thought I knew the whole story. Nobody knows the whole story but God. And it would do the purity and peace of the church no good for me to be making it worse. In the end, God is the hero, and he's the one whose reputation is there for us to protect, not mine. What you've just outlined is excruciatingly hard. <laughs> Very painful to do that because my gut is I want to protect and yes. especially if my husband is being attacked, yes. no, I, I feel like I need to protect him. But I've, I have to admit, I've learned, I can't think of very many cases where I ended up protecting him, where there was an audience that was ready to hear me. You know, usually people in a situation like that, depending on where they are in the, the depth of it, they've made up their minds, they're done. You know, that no matter what I would say, it isn't going to be uh, received. So that's one thing. And I think for pastors and pastors' wives, there's a uniqueness to our calling, to your husband's calling. There's a uniqueness to your role as a pastor's wife that's different than, say, if your husband was working as a CEO of a company. And, and something we've talked about, I read a lot of articles about pastor's wives and what's hard for pastor's wives. And in social media, you know, there's always room for all those comments. And some of the snarky remarks are very interesting about how your life isn't any worse than mine. Why do you think that you're different and all that? Can you speak to that as to how your role as a wife is different than the role, say, of a, a CEO or a mechanic? I think it's very different. And I'm glad you chose that word, how it's different rather than how it's harder. It's probably not harder than what everyone else goes through, but it is different. It has unique challenges. The people in my church are my friends. They're the people I pour my life into and my husband pours his life into. We love our congregation. We truly do. And, and it's 
really something like a story going around about him could lead to his being fired. It could lead to just his reputation ruined for later in ministry when you when you want to help somebody and they've heard oh you know they've heard awful things about you some of which could be true <laughs> you know we're all sinners but i think the real difference is i invest the the church is more my life than someone who just attends church on sunday this is my world and also you know you think about it if you let's just go back to that garage mechanic and he could be a leader in the church and his wife is involved in the church But when she goes out, nobody is thinking, well, there goes the garage mechanic's wife. You go out into your community. Well, there goes the pastor's wife. When your husband goes out into the community, he's never off. You know, if somebody has a problem, I I know one of the things that we struggled with was social activities that were fun for everybody else. But Chuck was always on. He would always get cornered by yes. someone who had a problem. And that's highly unlikely in many roles. And so I think that gives it an extra an extra tension there. So we have that place where, okay, what do we do with this information? And what you're saying is you have the details stop with you. Right. But how painful. I want anybody listening to understand that both Karen and I know you might think we're saying it's easy. We're not saying that this is easy. This is painful and hurtful, and especially in the body of Christ, where Karen said, these are my friends. These are the ones we pour our lives into. Um, someone has said that the ones that you hurt the most for in ministry, in other words, the ones you do pour your life into, you're sitting there at the hospital with them or at the funeral home or when their child is run away, often the ones who hurt you the most. What does that mean to you? What that means to me is that someone who's been in my home for dinner the week before, I find out later has been talking about us behind our back and championing stories that aren't true about us. I mean, it just, it hurts desperately. When I, you know, when I look back on this particular period I'm thinking of, I can see myself sitting in a chair in my bedroom. I just hunkered down in that chair, hidden every morning and sometimes throughout the day and just sat there with my Bible crying out to the Lord. And that's, and that's really another thing I would say is do the same thing David did. Go ahead and cry out to God. There are some Psalms of lament that are so beautiful. Psalm 55 is huge. Listen to this. Um, my heart's in anguish within me. Fear and trembling come upon me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would wander far away. I'd live in the wilderness. I'd hurry to find a shelter. Let me tell you, moving away was extremely attractive during this. I'm not trying to say that this was easy. I'm trying to say I had to set some parameters for myself so that I would not have regrets, so that I would not bring slander on God's name. And then David also says in that Psalm, here's the part, here's the hard part that you're going to recognize if you're really, if if you're a ministry wife or in leadership of any kind, it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. Then it's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, we used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walk in the throng. So let me just say, reading these words, 
then he says, I call to God and the Lord will save me. I mean, that's where you have to go. But I cried out to the Lord. I told him everything. It's I kept the details to myself from people, but that doesn't mean I kept the details to myself. He got an earful. He heard every cry I had. And I wasn't angry. Honestly, I, I wasn't angry with God. He allows a lot for his glory. And I recognize that the fall ruined all these relationships and So I let the details end with me, but I told them to Jesus and I wrestled with him. He and I wrestled through this together. And I I think that the reason I can do that is I can remember all the times he was betrayed. Yes, of course, there was Judas. Yes, there was Peter. Yes, the disciples abandoned him in the garden. But even remember in Matthew 26, When Caiaphas asked, you know, are there any witnesses? We need witnesses. And all these false witnesses gathered. One guy said, he said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And so they accused him of blasphemy. So see how they twisted his words? And so often that's what happens. You've said something perfectly innocent, or your husband has, but your words and motivations have been twisted. And that's when it's so hard. That's you know me. You're my familiar friend. Why would you ever think I would say that? So no, we are not saying it's easy, but we're saying that I answer to God and not that friend. Yeah. I um, I think about those who are still wanting to be our friends, who feel responsible for keeping us updated on all the latest gossip. And how do you handle that? If a friend comes to you and says, oh, I think you need to know this. Yeah. I I got a phone call from someone during this and she said, I just think you ought to know. And she told me and she was telling me. and, And at first I was like, oh, 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 I had no idea. And then I, I told her, you know, I really thank you for calling me, but I, I, I don't need to hear this. And I'll tell you that that call has plagued me because I knew, I knew things I, I didn't need to know. I knew people that were involved and things they said. And then I had to say to myself, did they really say those things? Can I even judge them like maybe I was judged? So it just it just becomes uglier and uglier. And, and so I think it's not a great idea to call someone and say, let me tell you the dirt. Mm-hmm. Maybe to go to the pastor and say, there's there's something going on and and maybe we can go together and talk to some people. I think you bring up a good point here where, uh, and I think this is again, where the role of a pastor's wife is a little different than the role of the wife of the mechanic or the CEO where you know things, you know, you happen to be in the room and there's a phone conversation or something. So you know things about the conflict. You're, you are your husband's confidant. He's going to talk to you and you're going to be praying for him and you're going to want to care for him. So when you hear this other junk, you, there are things, you know, but you can't say anything about it. That's right. I think you've touched on that already is that the one that you have to go to is to Jesus. And, and there is a different role. You just said, point the person to the pastor. Yeah. The pastor's responsibility. This is not the wife's responsibility. And I think that pastor's wives need to know they have the freedom to set those parameters, to set those boundaries. I remember as a young pastor's wife, everybody thought that I knew everything. I mean, I was 
No, and they thought I knew everything. And even if I knew something, I would act like I didn't know a thing. I had no idea what they were talking about because I didn't know what it was they wanted me to say. So I felt honest in doing that. But to let them know, I'm not privy to all of this information. And it's better for me not to be. So talk to the pastor. He's the one that's getting the paycheck. (laughs) Not me. That is absolutely true. We we have a kind of a need to know basis. And I don't know what's going on in the counseling room and in his conversations, unless it's absolutely urgent that I know, or like you said, if I walk through the room and there's a phone call and I usually try to just keep walking through. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's little that we can do unless they ask us to come alongside another woman or something like that. What do you, I, I, I'm a firm believer and I know that you are too, is we all have a worldview, even if we don't know what a worldview means. There, it's whatever we push our thoughts through, and and how we respond to life, it gets pushed through that that grid of a worldview. So, what would you say to that young woman or older woman who is really struggling right now because there's trouble in paradise about how what she believes is going to impact the way that she responds? Well, I think trouble in paradise is a perfect place to start, isn't it? <laughs> there was trouble in paradise. And so right now, when you may, you may feel like blaming God for letting this happen. And here I am and my perfect, my wonderful husband is, is serving this. And this is how he's repaid by Christians. Mm-hmm. We should be going, yeah, guess what? This is how Christians have acted since the garden. Mm-hmm. And, and then Look, Cain killed Abel after that. But I think what we have to do next is, so we pray, we set our parameters and pray, and then we have to say, what do I believe? What is my worldview? Is God sovereign? Uh, I trust God for my emotions. Yes, he created feelings. Yes, Jesus cried. Jesus became angry. Jesus laughed. He enjoyed things, but he he also, he understands how we feel. But I, I trust God to make me glad, even in the midst of suffering. Psalm 90 says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many years as you've afflicted us. I think we have to trust also that this isn't the end of the story. Pray for a beautiful restoration. It can take years. And my responsibility in this is to trust and obey and not to set the record straight. You know, there may only be one story floating out there in my small universe, which seems like everybody knows what's going on. Everybody believes the wrong thing. Really, a week later, it's old news to most people, even though it's killing you for maybe a year or more. But your life is going to demonstrate that their words aren't true. Your life and your ministry and the way you love Jesus is going to demonstrate to anyone far more than words will. The most meaningful thing to me was allowing God to use this to teach me endurance, to train me, to strengthen me, and to let me experience a little bit of what Jesus tasted, especially during his whole ministry. People were trying to make fun of him, trying to catch him, make a mistake. I mean, just think of the meanest congregation member you can you can think of. I mean, the, his life was full of that everywhere he went. And so to be able to taste that along with him just the tiniest bit is a sweet companionship. 
And, you know, when he tests us, Psalm 11, 5 says, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Testing is forging us. He's not trying to trip us up. He's not saying, I'm looking for the one that passes the test because only Jesus passed the, te- passed the test, but he's forging us like a sword is being forged for use and developing strength and endurance in us. I want to ask you about something practical you did um, to remind you of those scriptures. But first, in our state, in Delaware, there's, there's a lot of overlap of churches and Christians, and it seems like everybody knows everything. But I love what you said about it's old news. It's not old news to us, but other people have moved on. But what, how did you handle when you would run into people that you knew had been vindictive and hostile and uh, hurtful, especially toward your husband? I wish I could look at you or speak with you and say, I was just, I ran to them and embraced them with the love of Jesus. <laughs> it, let me tell you, it was a learning experience. Generally, I'm better at it now than I was a few years ago. You know, I think it's a, it's growing, just learning what God expects of us and what is, what is good to do. And that is, I would in those days, maybe turn away, go down a different aisle at the grocery store, or just keep walking and keep my head down. And self, self-protection can be your goal or glorifying Jesus can be your goal. So I just gave myself a little sermonette when I saw them. And sometimes I did a good job and I walked up to them with clear eyes and reached out my hand and said, hello. Maybe I kept walking. Maybe I had a conversation. And then sometimes, you know, I failed and I avoided it. But I remembered vengeance is the Lord's. (laughs) My job is not to tell them off. My job is not to try to do his job. Maybe he's being patient with them, just like he's being patient and merciful with me. And I need not to get between him and them. I know um, my prayer when I hear situations like this is repentance, that the Lord would move those involved to repentance, whatever that looks like, and reconciliation, because yeah. that is the what Jesus wants for us is to be one and the reconciliation, but the hard-heartedness of hearts only he can change. I know that. And it's, uh, it's hard to let go. But I think what you talked about with scripture and reminding yourself of scripture and what we believe is what's going to help us go. And I would say that I'm not sure walking by is a failure. Yeah. I think sometimes that's the better part of wisdom is to walk on by but it's hurtful when that's what they do. It's hurtful when they walk across the street so they don't have to see you and those kinds of things. It's just uh, like a stab. So constantly washing ourselves with prayer and with the word. And you found a way to do that practically. You talked about strength for the journey. Tell us about that. Well, I made a one-page list called Strength for the Journey of verses that I needed to concentrate on. I put the list up in my on my bathroom mirror. I put it up in my closet. I put it up over my desk and over the kitchen sink. In other words, it was in a lot of places in my house, which tells you how desperate I was. And I'll just I'll just run through a few of the verses that were on it, but I think anybody would choose verses that they needed. Job 2:10. Job said to her, "You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil?" 
2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. See, you suffered no loss through us. Godly grief produces repentance. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong. James 1, if anyone thinks he's religious, doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James 3, so also the tongue is a small member. It boasts of great things. It's a small fire. 1 Peter 3, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, for, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called. And then, of course, Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Those are the kind of verses I looked at. And I cannot tell you when I would be overwhelmed with pain and I'd be descending. And I, I mean, I was just descending into that deep chaos. I would go and stand or and stare at those verses. I looked at them when I brushed my teeth. I looked at them when I was washing dishes. And I just would repeat the truth out loud often and say, God, you have to help me believe this. I trust you. I believe you. Help my unbelief. I, I'm so glad that you are being so transparent because it is a war. It is definitely a war. And the rest of the world may not care, but it rocks us to the core and the pain is overwhelming and their trust issues. You know, how do we trust again? How do we have friendships again when those friendships have been so rocked? So why don't you speak to that? How, how did you, after going through this and long-term dealing with it and processing it, how did you learn to trust people and let them into your heart? That's such a good question. Many years ago, Oh, in the 1980s, when this sort of thing very first happened to me, I remember sitting and saying, God, I will love people, but I will not be their friends. I'll let them think they're my friends, but I'm not going to be their friends. And that was, you know, so immature and so silly. You can't be someone's friend unless you give them your heart. They can't be your friend unless you, it's a two-way street. So then I had to realize I have to be willing to be hurt. I, I, you know, you're, for heaven's sakes, I've been married 45 years. Has the man ever hurt me? Have I ever hurt him? Yes. So it happens in loving relationships. I think I just had to realize to trust people. I, I, I can't view everyone with suspicion. Yes, I need to have wisdom. I don't want to be close friends with someone who's a constant gossip or, or criticizes her husband. That's, that person's not going to be in my inner circle. But as far as trusting... I'm not going to go around suspicious. I have to choose to have an open heart. I want to be that person. I can't embrace people in their pain and their hurt and the things I want, the places I want to enter as a pastor's wife, if I'm trying to self-protect. That's that's just up to God. He's my protector. Yeah, that, that word self-protect. And, and that is what it is when we're self-protecting. Well, I, I want you to know, those who you are listening, this is a conversation with Karen Grant, and I'm Sharon Betters, and we've been talking about betrayal in ministry in particular. But as you can see, everything that we've been talking about applies to any kind of a situation where there is hurt. And Karen, 
uh, has been a writer for Daily Treasure, which you can find at markinc.org. And in the program notes, I'll put a link to that because she talks more about her journey through grief, through broken places. And there's just so much wisdom. I wish that we could just talk and talk and talk. And maybe we can do this again, Karen. Speak to that woman who is going, she's fresh. She's fresh in the betrayal. She feels completely broken and betrayed by people that she loves, just like you read in the Psalm where David says, we were good friends. We, we experienced life together. What comfort could you give to her? What encouragement, what guidance, if you had just a few minutes with her? I think right now you feel isolated and lonely. And, you know, here's this woman saying, asking me not to gossip. And am I even allowed to talk to a friend? Can I tell anyone besides God? First of all, you don't want to harangue your husband constantly. Every conversation, he's he's hearing it at work. Don't make him hear it at home all the time, too. So, yeah, there was a good friend who lives far away. I, I did tell her everything. So lest you think my halo is glowing right now, I did tell her everything that was going on. But I also needed accountability partners, people who didn't know the details that I just asked to pray for me. I needed to exercise. I needed prayer partners. And I also needed, if, if you can turn around what you're feeling and bless others and find ways to encourage other people. Look for the lonely people. Look for the people on the fringes. Look for the people who don't get calls, who are not the celebrities and the important people and call them, encourage them. Every time you're in terrible pain, think, who who could I call right now? Who could I encourage? Who could I send a card to? And maybe even take a meal too. And that, let God fill your heart with good things and thoughts of good things instead of just dwelling on your pain. And I am telling you, you will not always feel this way. It will not always hurt this bad. I promise, just like Sharon's walk through grief, you've learned to live with it. You'll always miss Mark. You will always wish he's here. But you've, you've learned to to live with that and you've learned to find the jewels and the treasures within that walk and I promise you that you will find the jewels and the treasures in learning to lean on Jesus instead of all the great reputation and everything that we want for our husbands. Again I wish that I could have listened to a conversation like this 35 years ago when we were in the middle of heated conflict that I thought was going to destroy my husband and yet here we are today, and he was not destroyed because God was there protecting him, and God had reasons. And my friend, maybe the reasons are what Karen spoke about earlier. It's a self-examination. We know we're not perfect. Our husbands aren't perfect. There can be things that they are learning. God is using this as a furnace for them. But in the meantime, what does he say? He's right there in that furnace. And Karen, you are so right. You will not always feel this way. You will not, especially when you lean into Jesus. So Karen Grant, thank you so much for talking today. It's been great. I'm going to have to find some other subjects that we can talk about because this has been a great conversation, really packed with wisdom and your heart for Jesus is so clear. This has been the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You can learn more about Mark Inc. by going to markinc.org or download our free app, Help and Hope. Go to the App Store 
perfectly free and you can get notifications on when we have new resources. In fact, the Daily Treasure devotional that I write and guest writers like Karen participate in. You can get notified every time there's a new one, which is every day, 365 days a year. We also have Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling and we have pastors on as some of our counselors. We have counselors from all over the country. And they really have a heart for pastors and pastors' families. So if you are really broken and hurting right now, look at the Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling site. It's online. Pick your counselor online and then meet online, which is perfect, especially for our environment. But you could have a counselor from California and be in Delaware. That's Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.